Before we get started in the podcast, I want to take a second and thank you so much for listening. I also want to tell you that my purpose each time I record is to try and bring you God's Word in a way that makes it interesting and a little easier to understand. I know your time is valuable, so let's get started. Good afternoon. To kick this podcast off like many of the rest of them, and to get you thinking, I have a question for you. Have you ever really been angry at God? Has something happened in your life that was so catastrophic that it caused you to blame God for it? Was it bad enough to make you walk away from church or from the people in the church? Or did it hurt you so deeply that you couldn't even pray anymore? Now, my guess is that if if we're honest, most of us would have to say yes, at some level at least. At some point in our life, or maybe even at multiple points in our lives, events have taken place that were so bad that it led us to believe that God had a hand in it. So now that I have your attention, let me explain how I ended up covering what, what could be a sensitive topic. Now, it's been a few weeks ago now, um, but I had just completed a podcast, and like I, like I do from time to time, I sent a close friend of ours a text message and asked her to listen to it. When she responded, she told me she liked it. She lied to me. She told me she liked it. And uh, actually, it probably helped her sleep is, is what she was saying. But anyway, she texted me and told me she liked it. And she asked me if I would consider a different topic or, a, or had I considered the topic of being angry with God. And I told her I hadn't, but that I would certainly consider it because it seemed like an interesting topic. Not only that, but I bet it was a question that a lot of people had on their minds or had thought about at some point is, is it wrong or is it a sin to be angry at God? Now, I want to say this, like most of the topics I do on these podcasts, I'm not an expert at it. And what I mean by that is that I have not personally been through a situation that made me angry at God. I do, however, know a few people that have been. And based on my research and what I've seen on social media, the people that have are certainly not on an island by themselves. And from what I can tell, there are tons and tons of people that are walking away from Christ right now for one reason or another. Now, before I go any further, I want to tell anyone that's dealing with this kind of pain that I know the pain and the grief you're going through is very real. And what I can't imagine is how hard it is on you to handle whatever it is you're going through. And on top of that, to layer on the guilt of thinking that God could have played a part in it or perhaps didn't stop it from happening. That is a pain that I can't comprehend. That is a burden that I wouldn't wish on anyone. I want you to know that the frustration and the anger that follows or that you're going through, while I believe it's misplaced if it's directed at God, is as normal as breathing. It's a normal human reaction. It's human to get mad. And it's also very human to look for someone or something to blame. And when we can't identify someone or come up with a logical reason, many times we blame God. And that's also human. What's also human is to ask why. Is to try to figure out why. 
And when it seems like one thing after the next and after the next keeps happening to us or to people that we love, it's human to think you have a target on your back. And it's also think human to think that the only person that could have put that target there is the all-powerful God. Here's the thing. Most of us were taught to love and trust God. And in our lives, when we when someone we love and trust hurt us really badly, we get really angry. And if the hurt is bad enough or it happens often enough, what we do as humans is walk away. See, we can't trust them anymore, right? We don't want to talk to them anymore. And we can't really stand the sight of them because the hurt is just too bad for us or too heavy for us to bear over and over and over again. John Piper says this, Anger devours almost all other good emotions. It deadens the soul, he said. It numbs the heart to joy, to gratitude, to hope, to tenderness and compassion and kindness. Anger and the offense that follows anger is the devil's playground. It puts you right where he wants you. And listen, it's not just normal people who get mad at God. If you read any of the Psalms, you know that all too well that David, the man that God chose as a child to be king of Israel, got as mad at God as any of you and I ever have. Listen to the story found in 2 Samuel 6 that tells us how mad he got at God for taking someone he trusted. The Bible tells us that they were moving the Ark of the Covenant, and in the process, Uzzah, one of the two men out of the thousands that David could have chosen from, he had entrusted to ensure the safe passage of the ark, was killed by God. Now, it wasn't that God had struck him dead that upset David. It was the reason that he killed him, that infuriated him. The Bible says that when the oxen stepped up on the threshing floor, it stumbled. And without thinking, Uzzah reached up to steady the ark to keep it from falling off the cart. So he was doing the right thing, right? Verse 7 says, Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. Now as a result of God killing him, David was not only extremely upset with him, but it drove him to an unhealthy fear of God's wrath. He was so fearful, in fact, that he didn't want the ark anywhere around him. So he sent it away. And when he sent it away, he, he cost him and the people of Jerusalem God's presence and all of God's blessings for three months. So that's not the only time that in the Bible where God's chosen one lashed out or accused God of abandoning him. Listen to what he said in Psalms 13 verses 1 through 4. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, We have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Now, when, you, when I read that to you, it didn't sound like one of the most blessed men who had ever walked the face of the planet, does it? 
In these verses, David sounds like someone who has lost all hope in God. He sounds like someone who is very mad at God for letting him down. Truth be told, he sounds like you or I, right? Listen to what he wrote in Psalms 35, verse 17. How long, O Lord, will you look on and do nothing? Rescue me from fierce attacks. Protect my life from these lions. These aren't the only two times that David became angry at God and lashed out, but it's enough examples to prove my point. And the point is that even the most blessed person on earth can get mad at God or angry with God. And if King David, a man after God's own heart, a man who the Bible says could talk with God like you and I can talk with each other, got mad at God or got mad with God without any punishment or divine retribution, it seems pretty logical to me that it would be okay for you and I to get mad with him. See, I think the greater question that we need to be asking ourselves is what do we do now? How do we overcome these emotions? How do we overcome the pain and the anger and the guilt of being angry at God? In other words, what steps do we take to start the mending process of our relationship with God? As I said, listen, I don't have all the answers. But I think the first thing we have to do is we have to understand that God is with us in our pain. He is not the cause of our pain. Now, the Apostle Paul was an expert on a lot of things, and those things included pain and heartache in his life. He went through more than most, and here's why I tell you that. Most, if not all, of his pain and heartache came after his divine interaction with Christ on the road to Damascus. It came after he committed his life to Christ. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4, 8-10. through He said, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. See, what Paul is trying to tell us is that while we may feel like we're at the end of our rope, because of the fact that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, we never have to be at the end of our hope. Have you ever heard of object permanence? I had never heard of it until I read an article while doing the research for this podcast. Here's what it is. When you show a baby a toy, a small, a really young baby, a toy, and then put it behind your back really quickly, in the baby's mind, that toy has now ceased to exist. And when you pop it out from behind your back, the baby believes that the object has come back into existence. It's why you get the response that you do. Now, I know that seems silly or a random fact to throw into a a podcast like this, But here's why I shared it. I don't necessarily believe that anyone who's ever had a relationship with Christ ever thinks that he ceases to exist. But I do think that if God slips from our view, there's a lot of people who think that he's left them, that he's no longer there, and nothing could be further from the truth. We get into these places where God slips off the radar screen, and when he does, as far as we're concerned, 
He's out of our life. He's gone, right? Think about the sun for a minute. Throughout the day, it goes in and out of the clouds, in and out of the clouds. When it's behind the clouds and we can't see it, is it still there? See, we know that it's still there. We know that it's still shining somewhere. The fact is is that the sun's visibility changes all the time. It goes in and out of the clouds all day long. I've even read that in parts of Alaska, the sun may not shine for over two months. But those folks that live there know the sun still exists. Listen, I can't or won't guarantee many things in this life for you, but I will promise you this. You may go through some pretty dark periods in your life, but you will never have to worry about the sun going out or losing its shine. On the darkest day, we can have reasonable faith that we will see the sun again and that things will get better. We can count on that. The same thing applies to God. No matter how dark the clouds are in your life, no matter how distant God seems from you, God is still right there. He's still right where he always was. He's shining light into the darkness, the Bible says. So if the darkness in your life has totally concealed the light and has stolen your hope, you can have a better than reasonable faith that you will see God again and that things will get better. The simple fact that God has disappeared from you does not mean that he has ceased to exist. That's object permanence. That's learning to believe that things continue to exist even when we can't see them. That's also called faith. Hebrews 11.1 says this, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Sounds a lot alike, doesn't it? Here's another cool term I found. It's called law of conservation. Conservation is the idea that something remains basically the same, even if it changes in shape or size. Now, I promised Shelly I wouldn't go too deep in this because she, she tells me I get boring when I do. But if you pour the same amount of water into a tall, thin glass that you do into a short, fat glass, and you ask someone which one holds the most water, most people would tell you that it's the tall, thin glass. Here's another example. If you cut an identical size pie into different numbers of pieces, one having 15, one having 7, most people would choose the one with the more pieces or the most slices as the biggest piece of pie even though they're the exact same size. Now, here's the thing. It's easy for you and I to understand that these are just illusions, that the glasses have the same amount of water in them, and the pies are the exact same size. And yet, despite all we've been taught, and as intelligent as we are, we struggle to apply the same logic to God. We're told in James 1.17 that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. God doesn't change. Here's why I wanted to share that with you. The fact is, it doesn't matter 
how you happen to be experiencing God at any given point. God hasn't changed. Maybe you're on a mountaintop with Him right now. Maybe God is showing Himself in your life as huge and mighty and in control. Maybe He's showing up right now as the one from whom all blessings flow and all good things come. Please know this. That experience that you're having right now with God, that's not God. That is the experience. It is simply the way you are experiencing God at that particular time in your life, at that in this season. And it's fun, right? We love those experiences. We don't want them to end. But we must not mistake them for God. Because if we do, when, we, when they come to an end, and they will come to an end, Unfortunately, when they come to the end and we come down off that mountain and go into the valley, what is the first thing we think? We think that God is no longer with us, right? That he's left us for some reason, and that's just not true. The truth is is that God hasn't changed. Only your experience of God has changed. Now, it's somehow easier for us to understand the amount of water in a glass or a pie is the same, but we feel like God is constantly changing on us even though the Word of God says He doesn't or He can't. Listen, just because you're no longer experiencing God on that mountaintop does does not mean that you're no longer experiencing God. He's still there with you. See, we want the pie that has more pieces. We want the water in the taller glass. We want the God that's on the mountaintop. We don't want to hang out in the valleys. What we have to realize is that God may have planted us in that valley to teach us something. Because whether we like it or not, what we learn from God's lessons when we're in the valley are a lot more likely to stick with us than the ones we learn on the mountaintop. So I'll end with this. I know I haven't answered all your questions about the repercussions of being mad at God. But I hope that I've shown you that no matter where you are in your relationship with Christ, He has not left you and it's not Him that has changed. And I also hope you know that while He will walk with you through it, the same God who loved you so much that He sent His very own Son to die on the cross for you. He's not the one that's causing your pain. The last part of Hebrews 13.5 says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Jesus said in Matthew 28.20, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's not going to leave you. I want to share one last scripture with you. And I really think it'll help those of you going through this. I'd like to ask you to write it down. Write out the whole thing. And keep it close by. Fold it up and put it in your pocket if you need to. And the next time you find yourself hurting. Or getting angry with God. Or feeling distant from God. I want you to pull it out. And I want you to read it. And I want you to read it as many times as it takes to get you where you need to be mentally and spiritually. 
It's found in Romans, and it's in chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. It says this, No, despite all things, everything you've ever gone through, all the all the valleys, all the, the deaths of loved ones, all the things that's happened to you in your life, all these things, despite them, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Listen to what the next two verses say. And I am convinced that nothing, nothing, nothing is nothing, right? Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, does that sound like someone that would cause you pain intentionally? I don't think it is. And I want you to know that no matter how mad you've gotten at God, no matter how many times you've screamed at God, no matter how many times you've blamed Him for the bad things that's happened in your life, you are still His child. And He still loves you dearly. And He desperately wants to have the relationship with you that you so deserve and you need. Listen, reach out your hands to Him. And I promise you, you will not regret it. Thank you, and may God continue to bless you and your family.